0: I'm going to take just a breath, if
1: you don't mind, just for a second. <laughs> Praise God. Uh, we are continuing in our Gospel According to Mark uh, series today. We are beginning um, chapter 13, and uh, I'm excited about uh, going through this together. We are going to be spending um, a few weeks going through chapter 13 uh, today, we are uh, going to be in part one of the Olivet Discourse, which is what this passage of Scripture is referred to as. In fact, all of chapter 13 really encompasses uh, the Olivet Discourse. And um, and so, we're going to take some time uh, over the next few weeks kind of walking through this, but we are going to look at a pretty large uh, portion of Scripture together. Uh, today we'll be in verses 1 through 23. Next week we'll be in verses 1 through 23. And then uh, Brother John is going to come and I believe close out or, or get close at least to closing out the chapter for us after that. So, if you will, uh, grab your Bibles and turn and open them to Mark chapter 13. As I said, we'll be in verses 1 through 23 together today. Um, And if you are able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Invite you to read out loud along with me. At the end of that reading, I will uh, announce that this is the word of the Lord and invite you to respond in true praise by saying thanks to God. Uh, The reason that we are using such a large Portion of Scripture this week and next is so that when we read it out loud together, we really can get a sense of the whole dialogue that takes place, uh, and um, and so uh, that is why. So just follow as we read out loud, kind of follow uh, how this conversation with Jesus and his disciples plays out, and um, and get it all in one. One chunk together. Okay, so Mark chapter 13, verses 1 through 23. Let's begin. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? They will not be here one stone upon another. and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents, and have them put to death.
0: And you will be hated by all for my name's
1: sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, No human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect, whom he chose, he shortened days. And then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand." This is the
0: word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. As I mentioned um, earlier,
1: today we're beginning a multi week, multi week, wake. It's kind of a wake. Some death dying in the passage. A multi week journey through this passage of Scripture that is known as the Olivet Discourse. Now, when Mark was writing his gospel, he didn't sit down and go, and now, here is the Olivet Discourse. Uh, But rather, that is what this portion of Scripture has come to be known as through the years, namely, because if you look at verse number 3, this teaching comes from Jesus, as it says, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Uh, what is interesting, if you'll think back, if you've been with us from the beginning of our time in Mark's gospel, how often have we actually uh, heard Jesus teach throughout this gospel? Just like a couple of times, um, and and usually it's not a whole teaching, but rather it's just a snippet here and there. The exception, I believe, being in chapter four. Uh, where we saw just a string of Jesus' parables all in a row together. And we talked about at that time how that Mark, uh, unlike Matthew especially and even Luke, um, was not so much focused on Jesus' teaching. Remember that I said that's important for us to recognize because we are not saved by Jesus' teaching. Uh, we are saved by Jesus, by the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as Mark says in verse 1 of his, of his first chapter, uh, his, uh, beginning his introduction to the gospel. Uh, we are saved by him and not his teaching. It is not enough, beloved, to say you are a follower of the teachings of Jesus if you do not have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ for you and on your behalf. Now, should you pay attention and follow the teachings of Jesus? Yes, but that is cart and not horse. Are you with me? Uh, and, and so it's very important that we do not confuse uh, justification and sanctification in that regard. We are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ. Him, in His person, in who He is for us and in our place, and by what He as that person, that substitute, has done in obedience to the Father for us. And we put all of our faith and all of our trust, it is the one time that it is imperative, not just recommended, not just a good idea, it is imperative that in this case, and perhaps only in this case, we put all of our eggs in one basket. And that is the basket of the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. All of our hope, all of our faith, all of our trust is in Him and Him alone. Amen? Amen. But Jesus did do some teaching. And it is important teaching. And He was, even as our collect... Uh, showed us today giving us an example of a godly life. It was an example that we will not be able in this life to, uh, emulate perfectly, but it does give us a target. It gives us a goal. It is that upward call that Paul talks about in his letters, and we are to pursue that perfection. And by God's grace, through the inward work and indwelling of the Holy Spirit over the course of our lives. We may not see as much of it as we thought that we should, but the Holy Spirit does and will and will continue uh, to sanctify us and to shape and mold us into the image of Christ Jesus, the perfect Son. Amen? And so here, though, and so think about this. We are over halfway through Mark's gospel. We are in the passion week of our Lord and Savior's suffering and death. And this is the largest portion of teaching that Mark actually gives us. So that should kind of clue us in to something. It should clue us in to out of all the teachings that Jesus did over the course of the three-year ministry, Uh, Mark said, this is the one we have to include. Uh, Remember also that he is writing uh, to a mixed congregation in Rome. It is is a church that is made up of both Jews, but predominantly Gentiles. And they are living under severe persecution uh, in Rome at that time. And, and so part of Mark's goal has to be to let them know and clue them in that Jesus already knew and had already prophesied about the kind of suffering that they were going to have to endure as Christians in the first century. And so here Mark, out of all the teachings that Jesus gave in the three-year period, focuses in on this that we call the Olive Discourse, this teaching that Jesus gives uh, on the Mount of Olives after they came out of the city, after there has been uh, all of this rising tension uh, with the scribes and the Pharisees.
0: Now, if you feel
1: and perceive that We've been rushing along, and now even Mark and also I am kind of like raining this in all of a sudden. What's that all about? Let me clue you in. So, this Olivet Discourse, together with its parallel passages in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, is one of the most hotly debated and divisive passages of Scripture. In the Bible for the Christian Church, and I would say, especially over the last 150 years. The reason for this is that the words of Jesus here have implications on our understanding of that um, trigger point of theology known as eschatology, uh, which is otherwise known as the study of last things or end times. And one of the most vital aspects of understanding. The important things taught by Jesus in this passage is that as we come here suddenly to Mark thirteen, I don't pick up a different tool bag and start interpreting math, uh, Mark. Did I say Matthew? Mark thirteen differently than we have been interpreting the rest of Mark's gospel. Um, we want to make sure that we don't suddenly pick up a different interpretive method than we've been using throughout the rest of this book. we must understand who is speaking, who is he speaking to, and who his original hearers understood him to be speaking to and what they understood him to be speaking about. What is more, we must see the connection with the greater context of what's happening here. We must not divorce this, and, and, and Mark places it, It's not like, oh, and by the way, here's a teaching that Jesus gave once upon a time. No, we must consider all of the things that took place in Jerusalem that day, all of the questions that were coming to Jesus. All of the ways that the scribes and the Pharisees and the council members and the chief priests and the Herodians were seeking to trap Jesus. Why? Because they had in their hearts already rejected God's Christ and Messiah. They had rejected him and they were seeking any way to put him to death. Now they were conniving and they were devious. If the people would do it for them, all the better. If they can't get the people to do it for them, what's their next move, as we know? is to go to Rome and try and get them to do it. Ultimately, even though they finally get Rome to get involved, what do they end up saying at the end of days?
0: Let his blood be upon our heads. And make no mistake, it was.
1: And so, we must see the greater context of what is happening and what it means for us uh, to see Jesus himself highly exalted and above all things, vindicated, vindicated, and reigning victorious. And so today, as I said, this is part one. We're going to kind of lay the groundwork for verses one through twenty-three. And then next week we'll begin to see how we should view these things in the present day. And if I had any, um, inkling of it going more than that before, uh, our half hour delay today has ensured that that's all we will be doing today is sort of laying some groundwork. Okay. So what, what is that context that I was talking about? It's that rising tension that's going on between Jesus and the the ruling uh, political and religious leaders in Jerusalem. Now, mind you, we are already Tuesday. Some would say Wednesday. Some kind of divide uh, those questions up. It depends how you look at that whole week. It's not like any of the gospel readers are telling us exactly what day all these things are taking place. But at least from Mark's gospel, it seems like we're still in The evening of the day of questioning as they are exiting Jerusalem, going back out. Remember, Jesus has been spending this time in the temple. He was in the court of the Gentiles uh, with all the questioning going on. And then we saw last week a transition from the court of the Gentiles into the court of the women where the 13 uh, trumpet offering receptacles were. and We saw the widow and, and the contrast that was being drawn between the widow and those who were devouring not only her as a prime example, but all of the different widows. Uh, remember what God says in his word, that uh, true religion that he requires is what? To take care of the widows, and the orphans, but rather uh, these people who were meant to be the shepherds of Israel were devouring. Uh, it says they were devouring. They were like, in other words, what? That's where we get this idea, even in the New Testament epistles, of wolves, right? Of ravenous wolves who were devouring uh, these poor women. And so we see this rising tension, and, and remember, we, we talked about last week that, that we almost expect um, the, the disciples to, to kind of be like trying to pull Jesus back. Like, hey, Jesus, maybe it's time to de-escalate. And Jesus did not de-escalate. He escalated the situation. Because then he announces woe and condemnation on the scribes and the Pharisees. I don't know if any of you went back and read the passage from Matthew uh, this last week, but there were seven times in a row. Uh, now imagine if you've ever been in any kind of personal, interpersonal conflict with someone, an argument, and, 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 and there is, there is verbal, uh, uh, back and forth that's going on, and they might insult you, or, or say something mean or rude to you, or imagine it could be something true, but you don't like it. It's one thing if they say it one time, but how many times in a row are you going to let them say that thing. Seven times in a row uh, Jesus announces not even announces, he pronounces he
0: is the son of God when the son of God says damn you there is impetus there is power there is effectuality in those words.
1: It's not, it's not a sentiment. It's not something he's wishing upon them. He is pronouncing damnation upon the scribes and the Pharisees. And he does it
0: seven times in a row. I think they just, you know, kind of
1: brushed that off, kind of shrugged that off. Wasn't private, was in the presence of all the people, all the crowds of people. Jesus condemns them along with their authority. He warned the people to beware of them. And so what? They
0: want to kill Jesus.
1: They're like, oh yeah, Jesus, that, that parable that you told about the, the vineyard. And, and the people who are watching, yeah, we, we hear you. We know you're talking about us, and you better bet your bippy
0: <laughs>
1: that that's exactly
0: what we're going to do. Your days are numbered.
1: We're coming for you. And so Jesus has just declared at the end of chapter 12 what we talked about, a greater condemnation Uh, upon these scribes and Pharisees. So don't miss the connection between that declaration and the words of Jesus to the disciples here in Mark 13. It's all connected together. So, as they walk out of the temple, and and I don't know what's going on here, okay, Uh, this is not the first time that Jesus and his disciples have been in Jerusalem together. All of them have been coming and pilgriming, pilgriming, to Jerusalem for their entire lives. And so there, I I don't know this, but there is a certain amount of like, how about them Yankees uh, that it seems like is going on? Do you get that reference? Like, maybe that's just something between me and my wife. I don't know where it came from. It's like, there's, there's conversation going on, and you either change the subject completely, or you want to change the subject completely, and, and so it can go either way. So you just, you just randomly change the subject. If, if, if my wife and I are talking, and she might be engaged in something, and, and I just randomly change the subject, she's like, oh, how about them Yankees? Like, okay, I guess we're going there, right? Uh, and it can go the other way, where it's like, I really don't want to talk about this, hey, about them Yankees, can we please change the subject? Like, this is uncomfortable, or I don't like this, or I just want, don't want to deal with this right now. That's kind of a thing that we have. Maybe none of you have that, but that's what I'm referencing here. It's like the disciples are like, Well, that went well, Jesus. Um, you know, uh, they want to crown you as a king a couple of days ago, and now instead of de escalating the situation, you go and damn the Pharisees seven times in a row. And they want to kill you. What do you think that does for us, Jesus? And and that's kind of where, I get the feeling that's kind of where they're at. So they're like,
0: wow, uh,
1: what beautiful buildings. (laughs) What a day. Can you believe you just said that? Look at these stones, Jesus. Aren't they amazing? I don't know if that's what's going on. Maybe they're just enraptured by Herod's temple. I don't think so. Uh, it was more beautiful than the one that was before it, but it's not more beautiful than Solomon's. And most importantly, there was no moment in Herod's temple where a great and mighty rushing wind came and filled it with the presence of God. It was just a man's monument to himself. It was more like the work of Saul than it was the work of David. But nonetheless, Mark records for us, here they come exiting Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, Jesus, look, look, what wonderful stones, and what wonderful buildings.
0: Jesus doesn't give them an out. and what does he say? He says, do
1: you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another. That will not be thrown down. Like, okay, we give up, Jesus. Like, you're, you're still in a funk, man. You're just still there. You're, you're still. Alright, sorry, sorry, sorry. But I want you to think about this for a moment. These stones that they're talking about are to this day uh, famous worldwide. They're actually called Herodian stones. And I don't know if anyone. ...here has had the opportunity to go to Israel. I have not, uh, but I've looked at pictures and I've seen and I've talked to people who have been there. And these Herodian stones uh, are white like our Austin stones in this area. Uh, But our even our largest Austin stones look like pebbles compared to these Herodian stones... Uh, the average uh, is weighing between two and five tons. Uh, the average Herodian stone making up the building of the temple and the temple walls was weighing between two and five tons. The largest one that they have found to this day, that was a part of a of a of a, a corridor, weighed by itself. 660 tons. 660 tons. I mean, if that rock was in Texas, we'd call it a mountain. <laughs> it's huge. Okay, these, are, these aren't your average building blocks or bricks that Jesus is talking about being turned over. This is a catastrophic, uh, uh, event that Jesus is referring to and he says to them, you see these buildings, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And that kind of shuts them down. They get out of the city. They get up on the Mount of Olives, which was seen to be a favorite place for Jesus. And uh, because we see him and his disciples spending a lot of time there, it was not far Uh, From Bethany uh, Which is where Jesus' friends uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha Lived Uh, Most scholars believe that likely Jesus was staying there During this week And so uh, the Mount of olives Was kind of along the way And and so as they go they would stop there And while they're there It says that Peter, verse 3 Peter, James and John And Andrew asked him privately Tell us when will these things be And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So now, you can kind of tell, like, they've calmed down. Jesus has just not only pronounced this damnation upon the scribes and the Pharisees, but he's saying that the temple is is going to be destroyed. Now, they're expecting, at, at least at some level, that there's going to be a moment where Jesus is going to fill the temple with his glory. And now Jesus is talking about this temple being destroyed. If you'll remember, there was another time when Jesus said, yeah, you see this temple, tear it down, uh, tear it down and in three days I'll rebuild it. And everyone thought he was crazy. Why? Because at the time that Jesus uh, said this, it is likely that the temple wasn't even one hundred percent complete. When he said this, and so Peter, James, and John, Andrew asked him privately. It says, "Tell us when these things will be." So now they're now they're interested. Now they're saying, "Okay, Jesus, seriously, like this is a catastrophic event that no no stone have you seen those stones? Like, what would it take for those stones to come down, Jesus? When when is this going to be?" And uh, we, we don't want to be here when it happens. And so Jesus began to say to them, verse number five, and here is the warning. What does he say? Don't be led astray. Don't be led astray. In other words, I have a path that is set for you, I have a course that is set for you. There, there is a goal. And there is a, a journey that I'm bringing you on, and a path that I have laid out for you, and you need to stay to that path. It's not the only time. Remember, Jesus talked about the straight and narrow way. Uh, it is the way to life, he said. And now he's saying, don't let anyone or anything pull you off of this course that I have set for you. Don't be led astray. He says, and then notice that Jesus answers their question. So they're asking a specific question. Jesus, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished. And Jesus acquiesces to their request. He answers them. He says, many will come in my name saying, I am he. And what we see They asked for what? They asked, when will it be, and what are the signs? And so what does Jesus do? He begins to give them signs. And so here's the first sign of six. He says, many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And they will lead many astray. Okay? In other words, what? Don't be fooled. Now, he's already told them, what? Even if they haven't quite understand it, he's already told them what? The, the chief priests are going to deliver me up to the hand of the Romans, and I'm going to be put to death three days later. Don't worry, I'm going to rise again. And it just kind of goes over their heads. Right? But, but here, he's telling them and reminding them that uh, there's going to be a time where he's not there to keep them from being led astray, personally, don't be fooled by these guys. Would that come and say that I am He? Uh, he's also already told them. Remember in John's uh, Gospel, chapters fourteen through sixteen, which is on the last night of Jesus' uh, life before the resurrection, uh, before the crucifixion, and He tells them, "What? I'm, go- I'm going away." Like even though I'm gonna. I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, I'm going to rise again, but I am ultimately going away. And what? It is better for you that I go, so that the Holy Spirit will come and be with you. So there's going to be this time where Jesus is bodily absent from them, and then there's going to be people that show up and say, hey guys, remember me? I am I'm him. I'm, I, I am he. And Jesus is saying, don't be fooled, but Many will be. many will be led astray. Uh, verse number seven, we get sign number two. So sign one, people coming in impersonating Jesus. Sign two is that when you hear of wars and rumors of wars. Uh, and here's what's interesting, okay? Now, what what was the question? Jesus, tell us when these things will be. Give us signs and and specifically what? when all these things are about to be accomplished. In other words, help us get a heads up on what's going to happen before it happens. Okay, so Jesus is saying, these are the things that will precede this catastrophic event. And so, uh, there's going to be people showing up saying that they're me, don't be fooled. He said, then there's going to be, uh, you're going to hear of Wars and rumors of wars but listen to what he says don't be alarmed don't be alarmed I mean it's kind of alarming but he says even though this is I'm telling you ahead of time this is your heads up when this happens don't be alarmed in other words what? (laughs) stay hold fast right? hold fast stay don't don't panic don't go running off. Stay. Stay your ground. Hold fast. Don't be alarmed. And then listen to what he says. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Then he says in verse number eight, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. So that's the wars, rumors of wars. Then we get sign three. There will be, verse eight, earthquakes in various places. There will be famines, but these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So in sign number two, we have human tumult. Wars and rumors of wars. In sign number three, earthquakes and famines, we have earthly tumult. Okay? Uh, Earthquakes and famines. Remember, when just a few days before this is Jesus makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And the people are praising and the scribes and the Pharisees and religious leaders are criticizing. And, and what does Jesus say? He says, you know what? If they didn't lift up their voice and praise me, the rocks would cry out. The rocks would cry out. And there's a reason we say dumb as rocks, right? Because there's virtually no life, exist- like a tree, a plant, you know, when, when the Psalms talk about the trees lifting their branches and, and the, the field, the flowers, you know, praising God, and we see life, actual life, and we see the difference when something is connected to a life source, removed from the life source, we watch it wilt, we watch it die, get hard. It's only going to be burned uh, or thrown into a compost pile. We get that, but rocks? And Jesus said, if they didn't cry out, the rocks would cry out. And here we see an, an earthly, an earthly response to this. Jesus saying there is something going on where there will be human tumult and then earthly tumult. And again, what? Don't be alarmed. So even in the presence of that, I don't know if you've ever been in an earthquake. I have been in a few earthquakes. I grew up on the west coast. I was always disappointed because I've been in a few and I've never actually felt them. Uh, I was always doing, I remember one time I was mowing the lawn and, and I'm, uh, for my church. And I'm mowing the lawn, and all of a sudden I saw all these people come out, running out into the street. They're like, Are you okay? And I'm like, Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. What's going on? And they're like, we just had an earthquake. And I was like, God, have got it. I missed it again. Not just because the, the lawnmower would to go on my knee, you know? I didn't even feel it. Another time I was playing basketball, and, uh, and, and I fell going up for a shot and just thought I tripped and uh, came inside to, to clean up my knees and found out, no, we had just had an earthquake, and again, I missed it. But they were minor earthquakes, and if you've ever talked to someone who's been in a significant earthquake, it is a terrifying uh, event, especially when there are aftershocks and tremors that come along after the initial quake uh because you, you, you all there 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 is uh people talk about this almost PTSD moment after it happens uh when you've had several aftershocks where you almost are paralyzed because you're afraid to actually come out in case it happens again. It's it's terrifying. And yet here what does Jesus say? He says don't be alarmed. Uh, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Okay, and, and so you know something's going on, but it's not yet. I, I saw Bethany earlier, uh, I know she was here or is here somewhere, uh, and, and she just had a baby. But leading up to the actual day of birth, there were several weeks where she was going through contractions and pains and different things. But it wasn't signi- it was significant, it probably hurt was not comfortable, she knew something was going on, but it wasn't time yet. And all of you uh, uh, women who have given birth, you you understand the difference. Maybe the initial time, I remember when Antoinette was first pregnant with Bella, the first time she had those pains and she'd never had those before, we're like, it is time, right? And Like, it is happening. And like, no, we're nowhere close uh, to that, right? But after the fifth child, you know, it's like, no, no, not yet, no, no, not yet, no, okay, now it's time, uh, and, and you begin to understand the difference between those things, and Jesus says, okay, these wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, don't be alarmed, stay, hold your ground, hold fast, this is just the beginnings of birth pains, the end is not yet. In other words, what you're saying is going to get worse. And Jesus is like, yeah, buckle your seatbelt. Here we go. Sign number four, verses 9 through 13. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils. Okay. All right. All right. So just count up councils. He carries on. And you will be beaten in synagogues. <laughs> it's like, okay, we're out. <laughs> we're done. We're done here. But no, what, what is happening? Jesus saying, this is what's going to happen. You'll be beaten in synagogues. Listen, you'll stand before governors and kings. But not the way that you always dreamed about, right? you're not there to be knighted you're not there uh, to receive an accolade you're not there to get uh some kind of earthly uh promotion rather you are there what does he say you're going to stand before governors you're going to stand before councils you're going to stand before kings they're going to beat you uh it's not going to be by 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 your volition and choice but rather what you are there why for my sake Jesus says for my sake to bear witness before them. Okay? To bear witness before them. You, you might think, why, Jesus? Why? And he answers the question in verse 10. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. Jesus, why why should we stay? Why should we hold fast? Why should we endure? Uh the, the the sound of wars and rumors of wars. Why should we hang around when all of this human and earthly tumult is going on? Why why just let them uh bring us before councils? Let them beat us in the synagogues, let them drag us before governors and kings? And Jesus says, Yes, for my sake, to be my witnesses. Why? Verse 10: For the gospel must be proclaimed to all nations. That's how important. The gospel is that you will need to stay, stand your ground, hold fast, and endure all these things. Now, let us not forget that there was a diaspora of Jews throughout the known world. A diaspora is something that has happened with my wife's homeland. Uh, She was born and raised in Zimbabwe, Africa. Uh, That's where we met. And I was uh, leading a youth ministry there at the time, and I have kids that I taught in school and were a part of my youth ministry now all over the world. They're in South Africa, they're in Australia, they're in New Zealand, they're in uh, different places in Europe, in the UK, in Ireland, they're in the States. They have just spread out over the whole world. Why? Why? Because of wars and rumors of wars and famine and persecution and all these kinds of things, all of these people have left the country of Zimbabwe, including her own family who is now here in the States, and have spread all over the world. And that's called a diaspora, when a people from one place spread out over the world. And the Jews had already experienced this diaspora of being spread out all over the known world at that time. And so what's happening here is that God is giving an opportunity for those Jewish people who have been spread to the far corners of the earth to hear the gospel and to embrace their Messiah. Because there are those that are part of that remnant that Isaiah himself prophesied about, that are there, they're in waiting. They weren't in Israel when all this was taking place with Jesus. They weren't in Jerusalem when all of these things were happening. But they've been spread to the four corners of the earth. And the gospel must be spread to all of those nations so that those who are of the elect, whom he had already called by name and were chosen by him to be faithful, could hear and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ the Messiah as well as the Gentiles who are in those countries as well who are about to what? To be grafted into the true church and the true Israel which is the people of God by grace through faith in every generation and so Jesus says "There's it's not just uh, persecution and famines and tumult For nothing. There's a purpose. And what is that purpose? That you will take this gospel of who I am and what I have done for you and in your place, and not just you 12, and not just you 70, and not just you 120, or the other crowds that followed around Jesus but all those, even as Jesus prayed in the high priestly prayer in John 17, not only these ones, fathers, but all those that will hear because of their word, which includes even us. And so that's how important the gospel was. And he says, you must endure these things, but it's for a purpose, that you will be brought before these for my sake, to be my witnesses so that the gospel will go to all nations. Now, in the midst of it's gone from bad to worse, sign number five is a comforting sign promise. Look at verse number 11. It says, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, again, what? Don't be anxious. He says, don't be anxious. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Don't be anxious about what you're going to say. Studies have been done in recent years, and they have determined that one of the biggest phobias uh, experienced by people today is the phobia, the fear, of public speaking. Okay? Public speaking. And that there are people who literally would carry in their hearts the sentiment, I would rather die. I would rather die then have to get up in front of people and say something. Um, and, and it's not always an exaggeration. Uh, just yesterday, my kids had to get up in front of their classmates and families to give a presentation that they've been working on. And you could tell some of these kids were carrying a lot of anxiety. In fact, even my kids and my wife were carrying some anxiety. Without fail, Bella, Levi, and Antoinette, all after the event yesterday, were like, like just really, I'm so glad that's over. And, and, And it's not that they didn't have a good time, it's not that it didn't go well, it went really well, they had a great time, they did a great job, I'm really proud of them, But it was that anxiety of having to get up in front of people and talk. It's a real thing. And here Jesus is like, okay, after you've endured all this and you've been beaten and they dragged you and now they're asking you to give a response, don't be anxious. And when you think about it, that's, that's really a high bar at that point. Don't be anxious. But why? Why should these largely uneducated men, in terms of what was considered an educated man in those days, why should they not be anxious about what they are going to say? Now here, I want you to remember someone on a different mountain who is being given a similar message. He was about to be brought in front of a king and have to give a response. His name was Moses. And it was there on the mountain in the burning bush that God called Moses to what? To go and stand before that king and be his witness. And what was Moses' response? I'm 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 am a a a a stutter stutterer. And what did God say? Go anyways and I will be with you. But he didn't leave Moses there. He said, I will be with you, give you the words that you are to say to Pharaoh, but, and what does God do for Moses? He sends him, he said, I'll send you with, now I'm going to insert a word here, a paraclete. I'm going to send you with a paraclete. Now this word paraclete is Latin. It's derived from Greek. Para is with or alongside. And kletos comes from a root that means to call. And so a paraclete is someone who has been called to come alongside for the purpose of aid. And this is the Greek word that is used by Jesus in John's Gospel when Jesus says, I will send you a helper the Holy Spirit, that Lord Helper there, is Mary And so even as God did not send Moses by himself, but said, I am with you and I'm going to call alongside your brother Aaron to be a help to you, an aid to you, here as he's telling the disciples this, he does not say go and you're on your own. He says, well, I'm with you and even more, I'm sending a Paraclete. I'm sending a helper, and who was this helper? It wasn't, it wasn't, okay, James, you take John, Peter, you take Andrew. It was, no, it was the spirit of the living God himself is going to go with you. So much so that he says, say whatever is given you in that hour, verse number 11, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Now this is not some kind of... Uh, demonstrative um, uh, takeover of their bodies. They don't, the disciples, Jesus is not saying that they're going to become meat puppets, uh, that God, the Holy Spirit, is going to speak through them like a meat puppet, but their own person, indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit, will be given the words to say in the moment that they need to say. And what a, what a beautiful picture of God's grace it is that he does that instead of uh, overriding, overruling, uh, because He does, we, we do not talk about the Holy Spirit um, possessing the way that we talk about evil spirits possessing other people. We are not possessed by the Holy Spirit, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and there is a big difference. And so, Jesus says to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to be your helper. That's John 16 verse 7. That that, that I'm going to call Him to your aid, by your side. And, and what does He say? Even better, He has been with you, Jesus says in John's Gospel. But He will be in you. And to have Him in you is going to be better for you than to have me with you and beside you. So he says, say whatever is given you in that hour. It's not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Let's get through these signs and uh, and and at least get to verse 23 here. So that was a comforting sign. And what was that sign? That the Holy Spirit would be with you. That he would give you the words to say. That was the fifth sign. The sixth and final sign comes in verse number twelve. He says, "And brother will deliver brother over to death. Father is child. Children will rise against parents and have them put to death." So now we've seen just general human tumult. We've seen earthly tumult, and now we see what even familial tumult that's happening is families are being broken apart. And then Jesus says, verse 13, which is kind of, it's not really a sign as much as just kind of a, a, a now a summation of all these things. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But, and here is another promise, promise number two, comforting promise number two, but the one who endures to the end will be saved, he says. So through all of this, don't be anxious. Don't be alarmed. Don't stand your ground. Stay. Hold fast. Don't run. Engage. You're doing this for my sake. You're doing this to be my witnesses. You're doing this so that the gospel can go out to all the nations. And this is how important it is that you would endure all these things. And then all of a sudden, between verse 13 and verse 14, there is a massive shift in gears. Okay? So all through these things, all six of these signs, the, the message is what? Stay, stay, hold fast, hold, hold. Through all these things. And then Jesus says in verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, Let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Run. Right, So all this time, stay, stay, don't be alarmed, don't be anxious, don't be afraid, hold your ground, let them beat you, stand before councils and kings and governors, preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit will be with you, he'll give you the words you need to say in that moment, but when you see the the abomination of desolation, run, run for the hills. Get out of Dodge. Get out of Jerusalem and out of Judea. Run, forest. Run. Go. Don't look back. Don't pass go. Don't collect $200. Just go. Run. Now, okay, great. Thanks, Jesus. What in the world is the abomination of desolation? Dr. Luke gives us some help. In Luke's Gospel, in Luke 21, which is the parallel passage, verse 20 through 22, Luke is is referring to Jesus' same words, and listen to what Luke says. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. Listen to this, for these are the our days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. So according to Luke, we're gonna let scripture interpret scripture here. According to Luke, what is the abomination of desolation? It is armies surrounding, invading armies surrounding Jerusalem standing where they ought not to be. Now, here's where we need to understand something about this moment. In this time, all the way up through the Middle Ages and medieval times, even into modern times, when it comes to warfare, when there is an invading army that is coming and they come to surrounding area, the place that people intuitively run is to the fortified city. Remember, these cities had giant walls. Remember, we just talked about how big some of the stones just in the temple of Jerusalem were. Two to five tons, one that was 660 tons. Like, I mean, we think about that today. It's like, AR-15 can't shoot through that, right? Like, I mean, come on. It's not going to happen. It's, it's getting stopped. That bullet is getting stopped by a 660-ton piece of rock. Okay? It's going to take a cannon blast. It, it, and when I say take it, it will take it like you take a punch. Like, it's, even a cannon blast is not tearing apart this 660-ton uh, stone. And so just like we would do if there was a tornado, what do we do when there's a tornado? We run to the most fortified spot in our house. It's the most insulated, the strongest, most insulated part of our house. And for the Jews in the surrounding areas of Judea, the most fortified and insulated place for them to run to would have been the temple inside of Jerusalem. It was meant to be for them the greatest place of safety and provision. But what does Jesus tell them to do? He says everything inside of you is going to want to run to the temple. But remember what I just told you, not one stone of these will be left unturned. He says you need to turn and unintuitively against your flesh you need to run away from what you think is your greatest place of safety and provision run away from that place well what what does that make them have to do it makes them have to remember we talked about putting all of our eggs in one basket makes them have to instill all of their hope for safety and provision in Jesus himself, who is telling them to do this. And so Jesus tells them to run in the opposite direction. Why? Because this is no normal or average military operation. This is, as Luke says, the fulfillment of the day's of vengeance, And so instead of running to the place that ought to have been for them the greatest place of safety and provision, they're going to have to run in the opposite direction, which even though the words of this song did not exist yet in their lifetime experience, the sentiment would have to be, oh Jesus Christ, rock of ages, cleft for me. Because this moment and we're, we're just going to have to stop this moment is as verse 19 says the great tribulation <clears throat> tribulation that Jesus says for in those days there will be such tribulation and listen to what he says as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. This is why they call people call it the Great Tribulation, because there was never one before it that was there, and Jesus says there will never be one after it that can compare to it. Not that there weren't tribulations before, not that there won't be tribulations after, but this is the Great Tribulation. And so, um, and listen, listen to what he says. He says you need to run, run right away. Don't turn back. Don't go back for anything, not even your coat, pregnant, nursing, I hope not, winter or Sabbath. He says, pray not, just run, run, run,
0: run, run, run. listen to what he says in
1: verse 20. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he
0: shortened the days. This is a picture of, Of propitiation.
1: Because for whom were the days cut short? For the elect. Who are the elect? They are those whom God himself has chosen in Christ. I don't know if anyone has watched the, the latest um, Mandalorian Star Wars uh, show that's on, on TV right now. Uh, but there is a moment in the last episode, and I don't want to give everything away, I've seen people looking in that. Oh, don't say it. I'm say it just a little bit. There is a moment that is a picture of propitiation where there is a if you know Star Wars a force that covers some people that are about to be utterly obliterated if it were not for the Effort and work of someone operating for them in their place, standing in the gap, and quenching uh, the flames of obliteration. That's as far as I'll go. And here, because of the language that Jesus uses, talking about the elect, what do we see? We see a picture of Christ's propitiation that it is in Christ that those who are the elect are saved. The, he says, but if you endure, you'll be saved. But who is enduring them? It is the one in whom they have placed their trust. It is the one in whom they have placed their faith. It's Jesus who is enduring them. It, in, in the moment where God's telling them to abandon what inside of them is, Ought to have been the magnet call to safety and provision. He's calling them to what? To put their faith and hope and trust in him and him alone. Which is why I said they must go save Jesus is Christ. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Now, next week we're going to get into more of the interpretation of these things. But suffice it to say... The principle still remains for all those who belong to Jesus, who are part of that elect number, who have been chosen and called according to his purpose and plan. That all of our hope still has to be in Jesus. And in those times where we are called to run away from what seems like the greatest place of safety and provision, we have to know that our safety and provision is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. And there are still times and opportunities where you and I may not be dragged before a council or a governor or a king, but we are as indwelt witnesses of Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. We are called to open our mouths and preach the gospel to every living creature so that this gospel may continue to go out to all the nations. And there will be others that God has called who will bow their knee in faith and submission to Jesus Christ. May that work continue to be done and may God use us all to be a part of that. Amen. Amen. Father, we praise you and thank you for this moment, for this day, for your word. Lord, thank you for showing us through this passage today that the things that the disciples and those in the first century were about to experience were things that were not a surprise to you. You knew these things were happening because, God, you were in control, sovereign over all these things. And, God, you are in control today and sovereign over all of the things in our lives. And so, Lord, as disciples that are living today, in 2023, would you, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, renew our faith to stand firm, to hold fast, to not be anxious, to not be alarmed or afraid when we hear things that uh, without Christ would be alarming and fearful? But because we have Christ, God, would you embolden our hearts and make your people courageous to stand for you, for your name? for your sake, and for your gospel. Please do this work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.